Hey everybody, welcome to today's Five Clubs Conversations. Today we've got the you know discussion about the U.S. Open at the Country Club, and I'm so happy that uh, joining me are, are three guys that I consider very, very good friends first and foremost, but guys that have been intimately involved with staging this U.S. Open, presenting the golf course, and, and ultimately running the whole show. Uh, we're going to be joined by General Chairman for the U.S. Open, Will Fulton, Vice Chairman. Stephen Pellegrino and golf course superintendent Dave Johnson. Um, as I mentioned, just great friends and and as you'll see, fun, fun guys that you know I wasn't sure whether to be really scared that these guys were in charge or just completely trusting. And I think you know obviously the results are going to be shown that they've done an amazing job putting this whole thing together. We're going to talk a little bit about you know Boston culture, Boston sports. Me being originally from New York and now living in Philadelphia, we've had a very healthy rivalry, although somewhat of a lopsided one uh, over the past couple of decades. But um, hopefully, you'll enjoy it. I think you're going to learn a, bit, a few things about the course, about what we did in the restoration. We're going to talk about the routing of the golf course. We're going to really look inside what it takes to stage a U.S. Open. Things that you know, again, that unique perspective on golf and, and producing and presenting. You know, the biggest championships in the world are, are an amazing amount of time, energy, and effort across a broad spectrum of people involved in it. So sit back, enjoy a little bit of time with these uh, three guys from Boston. Cheers. All right. Welcome to this Five Clubs conversation. I've got three of my best friends, guys I really enjoy being with with us today. And we're going to talk a lot about the U.S. Open uh, coming up this week at the Country Club. So, guys, thanks for coming on. And, um, you know, you've got we we've seen major championships on television. We architecturally prepare for them in magazines and, and all these things. But I don't think people really, truly understand what goes into this and how many years the preparation is and to have the general chair the vice chair and the golf course superintendent on i think we might be breaking new ground here i don't think i've ever seen that before so you know can you guys each talk about you know what you found to be the most interesting sort of unexpected aspects of preparing for a u.s open sure i'll, I'll go ahead um so we've been working on this for about eight years um to try to get this championship in place and we're really lucky. I um, I think there's a whole bunch of complex stuff that goes into one of these. Um, and I'm really blessed because Stephen and, and Dave are so skilled inside the ropes and they really know what they're doing there. That's not my forte as much. Um, we've got a great team of people who are working on all the things from traffic to security to member relationships all these, the various parts of running a championship. This club, we've decided to do things around sustainability and DE&I, which is, I think, relatively groundbreaking that we can talk about. But it's there's just a lot of town relationships and working with the Commonwealth, with our state, with Massachusetts, working with Boston. It's just a really, really big, broad, uh, complex web that we work in. And um, everyone's been great. We've had, I think great success thus far um and god willing with the weather um 
taking care of it, it's going to be a great championship. So it's it's uh, it's just a lot going on, a lot going on. Yeah, I would say, Gil, um, the most unexpected thing for me, which I knew it was coming, is just the sheer magnitude of um, from the start to finish. I mean, I'm in charge of the golf course, but the property as a whole, um, it's challenging to get around. As you know, we have one road that's kind of we learned is a one way road. We're running two way traffic on it. Um, it's like I-95 out there right now because we have so many vendors and contractors and different people that really it's a difficult property to navigate when you understand the property. Never mind when you come here from across the globe and show up. It's just not an easy one to map out and get people around. So the number of people, the sheer magnitude of it all has been eye-opening every day. There's a lot of challenges. Dave, just a question. Would you say one of the surprises, unexpected surprises, how good Stephen and I are at our jobs? Would you say that? Um, no, because you guys are good at everything. Oh, so stop. it doesn't oh, surprise blah, me at all. Blah, blah. Well, Dave, thanks for answering the question. Will just gave us the public service announcement. So. Yeah, exactly. I'm heavily trained exactly. and sedated. Um, for me, I guess I would say the, the most surprising thing is the collaborative nature of the planning process. I think there's this misconception out there in the world that um, when the USGA comes in and, and hosts one of their, their, their championships at your club, um, that they are coming in and they are imposing their thumbprint upon things and that it's a sort of draconian way of approaching things and nothing, nothing could be farther from the truth. You know, for the last eight years, you know, we inherited a really good relationship with the USGA, one that's been going on for, you know, well over a century, obviously, um, with the club being one of the five founding members of the USGA. Um, but the, that relationship, which was strong, is even stronger now. And when they were, when they've been on campus every day, from eight years ago through now, through last night, through right now. Um, there's nothing that says we are going to do it this way. I'm sorry, but that's just how we're doing it. It's never that way. It's the opposite, actually. It's we're thinking about this. What do you think? And then we respond. And if we agree, we agree. If we don't, they listen. Um, and it goes the other way as well. And we see things in the planning process when we've seen things in the planning <laughs> process that, um, you know, we live here. They, they're coming here, but we live here. They, they understand and respect that. Um, they're, they're really good at saying, you know, we know championships, but, but you guys know your golf course. Um, so they really listen to what we're saying about our course, and they understand that we're doing things that are not just um, for, the, for the one week in June of, of, of 2022. We're doing things that are going to last here, you know, forever, for a very, or very, for a long, a very long time, and our members are going to have to live and play with that stuff. So they're very respectful of that and they listen and it's a, it's a really fun collaborative process of working with really smart people and, and having that back and forth. I think Stephen talked a lot about that through any of the, the any of the changes to the golf course. I, I want to highlight that because what Dave and Stephen have done so well is that they really think about the member benefit, what is good for the long-term member, the member experience, because this is, as Stephen said, just one week. And so I think that's a really cool thing about what these two have really tried to do, which is, yeah, there are tee boxes that our members on a regular basis aren't going to hit from, but they're not many of them. And, and they've, both of these guys have tried to make certain tee boxes multi-use. Maybe they could be a shorter tee box on one hole while they might be the open courses tee box on another hole. So I, that's the lens through which these two have tried to look at this championship, which is great. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to eat your time. Sorry, go ahead. One of the questions um, 
people ask me the most is what does a club get out of this? How much money is a club going to make? And uh, from my perspective, um, this is my fifth year working here, the amount of um, infrastructure upgrades that we've been able to capitalize on for our membership and um, daily operations is um, <coughs> just a huge laundry list that probably wouldn't have, it would have taken 20 years to address a lot of the problems that we were able to address um, in a much more efficient fashion. And thanks to your help, Gil, um, some things out on the golf course that really improve the playability and um, the enjoyment of our members. So we're very, that's the answer when I um, asked that question. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was going to ask if you guys are working with anybody good on the golf course. I just we're we're looking. No, yeah, we're we're looking. Trying, we can't find anyone who's any good out there. Yeah. Kind of a revolving door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, reference eight years ago, obviously it was right after the the thirteen amateur. And if it, if memory serves me, will you uh, you hosted somebody for the thirteen yeah. amateur? Uh, I did. Are, are you hosting anybody this year? And should we look at should we put money on them? Well, we are, and he's off to a great start up in Canada. I think he was leading early this morning. Um, but, um, yeah, so we, um, my family and I, as you know, Gil, live about, I don't know, about a mile and a half, two miles from the club. And we ended up um, hosting Matt Fitzpatrick and his family. Matt's right now roughly the 15th best player in the world. And um, we will be doing that again um, for this for this championship. So we're really lucky that Alex, who just turned pro, Matt's younger brother, who you'll remember was on the bag in 2013 for Matt and his mom and dad, Sue and Russ are all coming to the house uh, and will be here throughout the championship. Also of interest is that um, everybody's getting assigned to the exact same bedrooms uh, for, for luck's sake. So we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna challenge Lady Luck on this. Everyone's gonna be in the same place, so that'll be good. That'll be well, good. he had a great showing in Southern Hills, so you know if you're at, yeah. if you're inclined to place a, a dollar or two, he might not be a bad choice. No, um, I agree. I thought he would have come in for a while. I thought he was going to come in earlier. Like I just thought he'd come in and prep the and see the course. But he's he's played the course. He we, knows it. Yeah, we played the course with him. Um, he came back. He warmed up here. For the Oakmont Open, I can't remember the year, but he came and used this facility as his practice area. So he spent a lot of time here. Um, yeah, he's just a great guy, and I love him, and we have a great relationship. So it's it's really fun. I can't wait to get him back. Be great. That's very cool. All right, so you have a successful 2013 USAM. Just the, third, <clears throat> the clock starts or the conversations start. I mean, just as a general overview, how do those eight years go? I mean, where do you? Where do the negotiations come, go, and then when do you start really ramping this whole thing up? Well, I'll let Will get into that. But but for me, the thing that I really remember was standing, you know, talking about Matt Fitzpatrick winning here in 13. I remember standing on the 15th green, and, and Matt is over there with the trophy, with the USAM trophy, to get the biggest picture taken. And we were next to each other, actually, talking to Ben Kimball uh, from the USGA. And he looked at us and said, guys, this is 100% a U.S. Open golf course. Right. Um, so for me... That was really the moment when when it all started. I'll let Will talk to speak to the to, to what happened subsequent to that. But for me, that was the moment where I said, "Wow, I'm pretty sure we're going to be doing this." Yeah. So I think um, anyone can just look at a calendar and look at years. And for for the country club, there was a break in the action um, for for hosting championships going into 2013. And um, I remember I was standing. Um, 
Stephen and I were both part of the transportation and parking team for the for the amateur. Um, and they wouldn't give us those jobs again for this championship. Um, they wouldn't. We asked for those jobs. They wouldn't give those to us. Um, so I, what I would say is that I was out in 2012 in Cherry Hills. And I remember standing up on right with the clubhouse behind me. And there was a fellow member there, Dr. Chris Kreider and Steve Sayre, both, both men that you know, Gil. And um, they said to, to me and, and by extension, Stephen, that if you guys want to host uh, a championship, uh, an open at the club, your generation needs to pick up the ball and run with it. And you have to get involved and you have to own it. We came out of 2013. We viewed 13 as very, very successful. Um, I think the USGA did as well. And, um, and the conversations about hosting an open were taking place at a higher level, higher than my pay grade. So, the conversation started. We were spending a lot of time with the USGA. And when we were fortunate enough to, to find out that our invitation to the USGA for an open was accepted um, for 2022, then a lot of the, the motion started. And, you know, it's one of those things that starts, and I've been fortunate to have some great um, chair people, chairmen that I've worked with from Shinnecock, from Wingfoot, uh, from Tory Pines, who have really instructed me on how it how it works, and it feels like in the very beginning, it was Stephen and I were doing a lot of the work. David Shag, Kristen LeCount, uh, the, the the general manager of the, of the club, um, were doing a lot of the work. Bill left, uh, Bill Spence left, and we brought in Dave, which we were fortunate to do, and you feel like you're doing a lot of the stuff just by yourself and you feel like you're the only one having the conversation about the open. And you're always asking for airtime for open updates at the end of meetings and everyone, including the USGA. I remember going to Reg Jones who's a great friend who works at the USGA and saying to him, Hey, I, I need more time with you. And he called me and said, you got to slow down. You got five or six years to go. Remember that? It's good advice in general. Yeah. <laughs> My wife Jennifer's been saying the same thing for years. Um, it just said you gotta you gotta take the heat out of this thing, and trust me, it'll heat up. And I will tell you, eighteen months going into this, it felt like somebody threw the switch. And you go from being the person in the room who has all the knowledge and knows all the contacts to being the person in the room who's receiving the updates from whether it be the staff the volunteer members, um, just this array of people that are now bringing you information because everybody's working on something. It it feels like if you were an entrepreneur and you started your own company and you know everything and then all of a sudden it's happening in front of you. So I, um, it's been an, it's been an incredible ride. It'll be something from a, from a personal perspective. I will never forget. It will be one of the things in my life that will be, I know one of the highlights, um, just because it's super special and being able to do this. Adding on to that a little bit, and maybe this is a little circling back to your first question about what's been most surprising. Um, it's not been surprising is the way hosting a championship like this brings community together. Uh, you know, we've heard that from the USGA from, from, from day one, you'll be really surprised. You'll love how, you know, hosting this brings your membership together. But what we've started to figure out, and Will is sort of hinting at it as we got closer and closer and closer to this event that, 
that community is really sort of defined in a much broader way than just our membership. It's brought it's brought us together with the town of Brookline. It's yep. brought us together with with the you know the the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But even uh, and this again is really surprising to me. I think I expected those things. What I didn't expect was the community that was brought together. Will was referencing we'd be going to these meetings, um, um, you know, with USGA or with you know different other host sites. The way this community of other host sites, whether it's for a U.S. a men's U.S. Open or a women's Open or amateurs or whatever, all of these host sites have that same sort of excitement and willingness to help each other out. I know that that, that David has got you know great friendships and great support from other superintendents, whether it's at Wingfoot or Shinnecock or, or what have you, or, you know, last year, Torrey Pines, hundred percent on, on all of those. We have found or on our end of things, you know, different, different general chairman, vice chairman, yeah. presidents at different clubs, whether it's, you know, Oakland Hills, Marion, you know, you name it. I mean, there are a lot of guys out there who've been really supportive to us in our effort. And some of them are behind us in line and yep. they have, they have ones coming next year at LA country club. And we have, you know, meetings scheduled with them, you know, next week to talk about them, to help them sort of for, with their expectations, but they're, we're, we're piggybacking on top of, 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 you know, chairman and, 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 and staffers at prior host sites. And that's been, that was surprising to me and really amazing. I mean, it's a great resource to have, uh, um, to be able to reach out to people who have been through the battle and, and, and know what the pratfalls are. Yeah, I agree. Cool. All right. Well, we are here, right? We're on the eve of the U.S. Open, so let's talk golf course. You know, which hole are you guys most curious, most interested to see how these guys play? I mean, start with you, Dave. What do you think? Yeah, so I, I scratch my head constantly. I mean, I'll say through 18 holes, I scratch my head wondering how are they going to play it? Obviously, I watch our uh, lower handicap members play a lot of these golf holes, but um, to picture what the pros are going to do, and um, it's difficult. If I had to pick one, I'm going to go with number seven. Um, short par four uphill, kind of uh, narrows up near the green. Everything starts to fall to the left. Um, our golf course architect, I can't name, uh, name any names, but he built a bunker to the left of that green that, I mean, you can't even see the top of the pin um, when it's on the right side of the green, so... I'm interested. Are they going to hit a driver there? Are they going to play it safe and stay down lower on the fairway and have an uphill blind shot from, um, you know, 130, 140 yards? So that's the one um, I'm really interested and excited to watch. So I would <clears throat> I would say that the one that I'm most excited to see them play from those back tees skills is open four. Um, I think that is a super long par four, and that green is – that green is tough. I know we were talking this. We had the same question last night with John Bodenhammer from the USGA. And it he felt, I mean, those that green, the, the middle part of the green is so angled, but there's almost a platform on the top side of that where you could put the flag. And then there's a flattening down at the bottom, closer to the bunkers, uh, to golfers left. So I think that's going to be really fun to watch that. I brought in a, a really great friend of mine who's not a member here. His name is Steve Winfeld. And he's a, he's a, he's a good golfer. And I brought him there to watch him play that hole. And he was spectacular playing it, but he turned to me and said, "Will, this is going to be a really hard hole for any pro to play. Um, and maybe thinking about the open four to open five, the, if you think about the open four could be a bogey hole, 
I talked to Jason Gore about this and, and open five is an opportunity for a birdie. So it's, it's a back-to-back thing. And um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I really, I think that open four, those are, those are, you know, those are, that's a tough early setup of holes. That's hard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That was Steve Winfeld from the Kennebunkport Winfelds. Yes. That's the same one. I didn't know you knew him. (laughs) They're good people. Yeah. They're good people. I didn't know you knew them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I think for me, it's really seeing the, some of the, some of the shots on, on 11, um, the, the newly expanded, um, and restored 11th green, those little drop shot par three. It's making its first appearance in, uh, in a U.S. open since, uh, since 1913 was the last time that hole was played back when Francis Wimet went around. Um, you know, I know, I know, you know, Gil likes to talk about, you know, he and his guys, they're, they're cavemen and caveman construction. And there's a you know, great story of when, when you were out there actually helping, you know, shape in that green and, in, and David was out there trying to help. And he's like, okay, you know, we're okay. We're going to, what do you want me to do? You want me to help Dave? Just go over the side of the green and get away from me, please. You have no idea what the hell you're doing. <laughs> and Gil is out there literally with the, upside down rake and just raking in uh, little contours, micro contours by hand. And, um, you know, I think there are so many really cool, again, not to use the word, you know, micro hole locations around the perimeter of that green. And I'm lucky enough to know what the hole locations are that they're thinking about for, for the week. And um, there's some, some really, really cool spots that I, I look forward to, uh, to seeing them try to execute. But if you're going to think about what uh, this is a question for both of you, because you and, and Gil be a great question for you, which which hole do you think on average is the most is the most over par on this golf course? I'm, I'm on record with two. The I think, second hole. Yeah, I think par threes in general, long par threes and that with the con with the with the sort of juxta the, the shape of that green sort of going at a 45 degree ish angle uphill. Um not it's not blind but it's 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 not super visible to them um with you know heavy rough in back bunkers in front they got to really choose their line and they've got to choose their trajectory and their distance correctly um and it's 220 yards from the back i think they're listing it as 215 or 210 or something like that um i know how firm that green has been and all all of them have been um i'm interested in seeing that but i i think that for me, I think that'll be the, the toughest, I think that'll be the highest over par. That's what, what, do you, what do you think? I'm going to go to four. I mean, you talked about the green itself, and it is a very difficult green. Um, I, I'd say that green's about 4,200 square feet, but pinnable green, maybe 1,500. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It's a tricky one, but the tee shot on that golf hole is just amazing. I mean, you even with um, a, a compass in your hand, you still, your mind messes with you because the fairway doesn't line up with, a really blind tee shot. You're looking at a forward tee out there that's propped way out of the ground. Um, I think it's just going to get into their heads right from the tee. Gil, what, Gil, what do you have for one that you're looking forward to the most and which one you think will play over part of the most? Yeah, the one I'm uh, 17. I think that's just a really, it's going to be interesting to see them, what they choose off the tee, right? Because it's such a sharp dog leg. You've got all that trouble on the inside of the dog leg, but you've also got, you know, if you don't turn the ball, you're going to play. Got the through line. I mean, you got to hit it through the fairway right, if you right. press it. Don't. 
So I think it, it combines all those things of, you know, from a decision-making standpoint, do you just hit an iron or a hybrid straight away and play it in from there? Or do you try and bite off as much as you can chew on the corner with the addition of those chocolate drops? And um, I'm guessing the rough will be fairly juicy over there on the left-hand side. That's going to be quite a penalty coming into that small green. So I think the tee shot on 17 is one that I, I, I maybe you guys have watched some guys play it in practice rounds and, and what they're trying to do. But I think it's going to be one that, um, I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, they're asking about, you know, whether we got any satisfaction out of seeing the 18th hole at Southern Hills, you know, wreck Mito Pereira's score or his, you know, his championship. I said, no, not the satisfaction actually I got was when we watched, you know, Justin Thomas and Bones on that tee and talking and talking and talking about what do we want to do? How do we prep? That's really, I think from an architect standpoint, the exciting thing. And I think that tee shot depending where you are in the championship, obviously coming down to the you know, finishing stretch, how they tackle that, where they are in the round, I think it's going to be really interesting. And then with some of the expansions on the green and that new green complex, you know, just kind of the wings to it, I think you will find some really, some pretty spicy hole locations. It's funny you say you were asking about, you know, which one I'm whole we're interested in seeing. There's the, actually the shot that I'm most interested in seeing is on 17. Um, you know, we, with, with the restoration work that's been gone on, been going on here on the greens, sort of expanding them out back to where they were in the 30s. We have a, we're lucky enough at this club to have a great archive of historical photographs. And uh, David and I were actually able to sneak in there unbeknownst to other people and, uh, and, and get as many photographs as we uh, could and, and use those as a basis for the work that you've done here. Um, and 17 green is a green that just couldn't be replicated. It used to be in a different location. Um, that had to be moved um, in the 50s, actually, um, because of the expansion of Clyde Street out there. So the green went to a completely different location, and there was a, a Cornish, a, Corn, a, a Jeff Cornish iteration, and then the Reese Jones iteration that came in prior to 88. So when we were out there, I remember standing in the fairway with, with, with you and this guy over here, talking about what we were going to do with that green, and we had the photo of what that green looked like um, in the, in the, let's call it the Francis Wimette era. And we couldn't do it in the current location, but there was a bunker in the back right corner of that green, super shallow with some mounding around there. And I remember, I remember we were sitting there and you're like, that would be really cool to bring that back. You know, it's just sort of a nod to what was there. We can't do what was there, but there's a little bit of a nod to it. So that was built and it's up on that top plateau, obviously Gill knows, but it's up on that top plateau. Um, and that bunker is about that deep. I mean, it is less than six inches below the putting surface. And this person, and it, you know, assuming that a whole location gets cut up in that up in that upper quadrant in sort of the Justin Leonard area and gets pushed a little bit into that. Now you've got a bunker shot. I think is it. If, you know, you see the world's best players play that is going to be really interesting to me because it couldn't look any easier than it is. It really couldn't. I mean, it is, it is, there is, but you could almost putt out of yeah, it. So lip, say, yeah. If the lip in probably in five years when the lip gets, you know, beaten down by members walking on the edge of it, maybe you could putt out of it. You can't right now, but to have to hit a bunker shot that probably travels a foot, a foot and a half, and then land softly to a, a green that runs away to, from you. It's very easy to put that to 10 feet. Even I can put that thing to 10 feet every single time. But to have to have somebody that, you know, to carry that thing maybe a foot and get it to stop to, to be stony at the hole, that's the one shot that I really want to see. They're so good, I'm sure they'll handle it, but it's so awkward and weird. I'm really looking forward to it. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And, and the difficulty, I think you guys nailed it. I think two and four are, are the ones. I mean, it's a heck of a start when you think about it, getting out, <sighs> going with, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, looking you. And then, like you said, finally, five, you get a, a birdie opportunity. So we, we talk a, a lot when we have in the past on this podcast about setup and just conditions for the week. You know, guys, what's the perfect setup and what's the perfect weather forecast for the for this week? Wind blowing, sun's high in the sky. Yeah, we want it as firm, a little brown out there. Um, that's when this place shines. Cool. All right. So you mentioned, Stephen, about the, the introduction of the 11th hole into the routing for the first time, you know, championship since 1913. Can you guys, there's been so many questions about this routing and the evolution of it. Can uh, I know, Stephen, you were very involved in, in the right. final yeah. evolution of it. Can you maybe talk about the evolution of how we got to where we are for this, for this iteration? Sure. Um, so it actually started, I think, a little bit prior to my involvement with 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 the open planning. I think it really started right after the amateur at 13, when when the USGA knew that they 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 they'd like to come back here. And um, Gil is obviously our, our our consulting architect here. And I, I think that there was a recognition of the fact that main course four that the members play on a daily basis which up until now has been open course for championship four um, was kind of awkward, not in, in the sense of the actual golf hole, but in terms of the logistics of player uh, walking and, and, and traffic flow for players as well as for spectators. Spectators just couldn't get out to that hole. It was really difficult. And for players, you wound up holding out on the fourth hole of the main course or of the open course and walking back essentially the full length of that hole to tee off on the fifth. Yep. And Gil, you rightly cited that as, as being awkward and suggested the idea of eliminating that hole, which creates a very short walk from three green to what's now um, open four It's very short, very intuitive sort of walk, which is great. Um, in, in dropping that one hole, your thought was um, to add the, um, what's our 12th hole on our, on our main course, but is the 11th hole on the open course, that little drop shot, um, par three, 131 yard um, par three. And I think some of the impetus to that, I, I, I might be over the tip of my skis and you certainly know better, was, you know, seeing how successful what the 13th at Marion um, was um, in, in 2013 for their U.S. Open. I think the USGA was really happy with how that hole played. It's a very short par, par three and, 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 and you were as well in terms of really helping determine you know, the, the final outcome of that, of that hole, it did, it made a difference for something that short pound for pound, it had an outsized, um, you know, impact. So then we knew that we had, we we're putting in that hole, we were taking out the other hole and we had our 18 holes and there's this question of, you know, how do we play them? And we knew from right off the bat that there was a, there was an imbalance there. There was an imbalance in par and there was an imbalance in yardage on the two nines. I, I could be wrong on this, but for a par 70, I want to say we were, were we 38, 32, or is it 30, whatever it was. It was, the yardage was, was way off and the pars were way off. And we as members and, and as staffers, you know, had been thinking about, you know, how could we make this better? How could we flow the routing a little bit more intuitively? And we have these town halls with our membership to, keep them up to date on what's going on in the U.S. Open. We've had them for, for years now. And the very first one we had, um, at the end of this town hall, there was a, a routing map up, which played the course kind of like we play the, 
the main course, you know, with this imbalanced set of nines. And Will and his wife and, and some other our, our people who were involved, other vice chairs, were in another room sitting down for dinner. And I was supposed to be going in there. And I was enjoying a Johnny Walker Black, as I want to do. That's a product <laughs> plug right there. That's exactly. a product plug. Exactly. Okay. And um, a member came up to me. His name is, is Henry Richardson. And he said, hey, Stephen, you've thought about this imbalance. Yes, I have. Any solution? No, we don't. He said, well, I've been thinking about it. I think if you walk off main course eight green and go right to 14, main 14 T, which is uphill par five, T box is right next to that green. You go up there and then you come down primrose nine and that T is right next to those two greens and T's are next to each other as well. That gets you a par five on both sides. It evens the par out and it evens the yardage out. Um, and I was supposed to go into this dinner and I was starting to enjoy my drink. I said, wow, this is a really great idea. Nobody has said this. And so I wound up being 25 minutes late for the dinner. I walked in and like, what are you doing? I was like, I just heard a great idea out there from, from the member, from a member about how it should flow. And then he had actually proposed. The Johnny, the Johnny Walker should flow? Or well, the, that was, uh, that's always or, flowing. Or the, that's the routing, always flowing. Or the routing. That's, that's always, what you're talking the route, about. The routing. <laughs> Um, he had had it going in a, in, a, in a different direction that kind of had several holes going up and back in different directions, which I'm kind of against. It just sort of like it feels whenever that happens again and again, it feels kind of repetitive. And, his, and then his routing from there also necessitated a long walk from, from uh, open course 11 to what's now open course 11 to what's going to be open course 14 and it crossed play. And so I tweaked that um, then again so that it, that it flowed better for players. And we, we just started walking it. I just started going out and literally walking that route. And it flowed so well with, with your suggestion to eliminate you know, four and add the other one in, um, Henry's suggestion to go up and back, and then my ad addition of doing the other thing. And it, you know, people talk a lot about, oh, it's a composite course here that you're doing. It's, it's so awkward, I don't really understand it. Why, you know. But when they've come out, whether it's members or guests, when they've been out or, or, or our staff, you know, Brendan Walsh will say this, our head pro is like, God, this just flows so much better than any of the other, other iterations of composite courses we've ever had. The walks from green to tee are so short. I mean, they're really, it's pretty unique. I've been to plenty of championship courses where, you know, you hole out and then to get to the back tee, you're sort of, you're sort of walking in this direction right. and then you got to walk right past the green where you, where you just played from. And that just is not happening here. It's a really, again, it's the collaborative nature of this whole thing and bringing the USGA, they, they played their part in it too. And they were like, yeah, this is, this is really great. So it's a great sort of amalgam of, you know, our membership, our, our architect, you know, our, our team and the USGA figuring it out. And I'm, you know, I'm obviously involved with it. So I'm, 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 I like to be impartial about things. I can't say I'm impartial about this. I think it's by far the best iteration of any composite course we've ever had in, in terms of just enjoyability of a, of a walk. It's a great walk and it's uh, it's really fun. I think one of the other things I'll add to that is that two things. Um, the first is, is that we're blessed because we have 27 holes. So a lot of championship, a lot of courses can't have the flexibility to, to play with these different routings. So that's, we're blessed there. The other thing that Jeff Hall from the USGA taught me was when we were talking about this and, and I 
the, the listeners might be interested in this is that it's not the players aren't distracted because they can hear a ball be hit. It's that the ball hisses, that hissing sound, it hisses because they hit it so hard that that's even if the they, the player, because we had we had a tee box where we would have players hitting over the heads. You remember this when we built that tee? We had, we had players would be hitting this way on eight. And then there's a tee box that we were going to play down, down um, 12. 12, 13. 13, 13. We we're going to play down 13 and players would be below a hill and hitting. And the issue there was that the ball is going so fast that it still has the hissing sound. So the players may not hear the, the, click, the, the click, click. but they hear the hissing and that is distracting. And I never knew that. I thought that was kind of cool. And that won't happen with the, with the, with the routing. That we with have. The routing that we have, it's not going to happen. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. One other thing that I'm not even clear on that I, I know Jeff, talks about a lot is the flow from when the players are practicing with the uh, two T start, it puts our 10th T very yes. close to the driving range. Yep. And I don't even know where the old 10th T was on the original um, championship course. Um, so that where did they go after the driving they start range? On 11? They might've started on 11. Is that what they were doing? Yeah, they would have probably, that would have been, is that right? Let me think about that. Um, seven, eight, while you're thinking about that, can I ask Gil a question? Yeah, it out there further, yeah. Just, Gil, quick question. Yep. On on um, on main course four, okay, um, I know we're taking that out of, out of the routing, and I know that's NBC's back of houses there because it's so close to our property edge. Um, if you were to put the pros down on that new Francis We Met T, mm, uh, the place. lower T, that's a yep. nice transition from the third green, right? I mean, it's very natural. Would that make the pros crazy? I mean, that is a really steep hill right in front of them. Is that too quirky to put pros nowadays to hit from down low there? You'd, you'd definitely hear about it. I mean, for sure. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of chatter, a lot of conversation. Um, and I think you know, a lot of the, the discussions I've had with people leading into this is I think you're going to need to have a player who's mentally prepared to face awkward shots out there. I mean, and that certainly would be a very awkward one. And I think you know, Jack Nicholas used to talk about when he'd walk in the locker room and hear people complaining, he'd know that those guys are out, you know, he didn't have to worry about beating them. And I think there are going to be shots at the country club where you're going to find yourself with a really awkward, no, no line of sight. You're going to have to really trust, you know, your, the, your, the line you've selected or your caddy selected. And I think that's a different mindset for these guys. They're so used to seeing everything. You know, maybe when they play in the open championship, they get blind shots, but they don't normally see that week in and week out. And I think you're going to find that a player who's going to be really mentally strong and able to do that. Um, but I'm not sure there maybe but a handful of guys on tour would be mentally strong enough to be looking at the We Met T on that. I did think that Will's suggestion originally about uh, the routing and how awkward that was of, having the players tee off on four and then go over and hit their tee shot on five to save the walk back. Um, and then just play. I, I, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was I mean, you could get a player in a driver groove, right? Yeah. They had two drives right back to back, keep everybody going. That would be quirky. That would be very quirky. I couldn't get the USGA to agree to that. I couldn't get you to agree to it, Gil. <laughs> all right so you know from a restoration standpoint what do you guys think that you know we've we've all worked on over the last decade to, that will be the most impactful and most interesting for these guys um to you know 
And, and what's been most impactful from the membership? Has it been bunkers? Has it been tree removal? Has it been green expansions? You know, what, what do you guys think is, is the most exciting thing to watch at the open? Well, I mean, I, well, you go first. I'll definitely go with the green expansions. Um, it's unbelievable what it's offered to our membership. Um, people that have played here since, you know, 50, 60 years since they were very young are now playing the pin positions that they never got to. And it just adds a lot of, I think, enjoyment and just um, the variableness of it. Um, it just makes it more pleasurable for our membership. So um, definitely for our members, the green experiences have been knock it out of the park. They love it. I, I think the answer for me would be, I, I mean, this place is beautiful right now. I, I know that that's not really a playability thing, but from an aesthetic, it's, what Dave has done and what Steven has done and Greg Petrini have done and, and Gil, you have done. It is just a magnificent property right now. And it, you know, I was out here, I'm blessed to bring my father out here and we were looking at it and you can see the, you know, the fescue is blowing and you can see kind of the waves of fescue blow on the hillside. It's just really just to the, to any eye it is, it looks in my mind, from a New England golf course, it looks exactly the way it should look. The fescue and the browning and the cut paths, and I'm not as much of a, of a golf expertise as, as these two, but I think it is just so beautiful to look at. And I hear that a lot from the members, that the firm, the fast, the playability of it, it is, uh, it's really, really fun to watch. And it's, it's, it's awesome to walk and look at. It's great. Yeah, I think it's it's again it's easy to say the, the green expansions. I mean, they're they've been phenomenal. They've been really well received. Um, you know, I think the membership has started to realize how we still have really small greens, right? We still have probably the second smallest greens for a U.S. Open Championship after 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 um, Pebble Beach. Um, um, so they're we've expanded them, but they're still they're still pretty darn small. Um, the process of sort of leading the membership through explaining how. You know, even though we were enlarging, we're actually creating, um, we're doing things that it's something that Gil talks about a lot. I know that, you know, he's talked about it at different clubs that he's worked at um, with David and with me before is that, you know, you by creating, by expanding greens out to the edge of their original green pad, it, it, it serves two purposes that seem sort of counterintuitive, right? There's this, there, it makes it easier for the high handicapper because, it's a larger target to hit and we need larger targets to hit, to be able to actually get on the green and, right. and putt. But, but for the, for the expert player, um, when you start choosing fringe hole locations around the edge, um, if that player chooses to attack and doesn't succeed, they are punished in a way that um, um, in a way that's appropriate um, for, for, for missing um, an aggressive shot. Um, so our membership has started to see that and, and to see them, uh, enjoy it and understand it. Um, that's been really cool. But for me personally, I think, I think it's really the conditioning of this golf course. I mean, I've, I, so I, I think what, so what David and his team have done, yes. um, you know, can't, I can't say it's a surprise. Um, I, I've known David for, for 10 years and he's a great friend of mine. Um, and, um, how long have you known me? Like two. And do you like me? Ish. Ish, ish, ish. Um, friend comment. Yeah, <laughs> but I, but I remember, um, you know, the, the second day I ever met David when he was still working at at Whitensville um, Golf Club, which is a phenomenal nine-hole golf course in uh, in Central Massachusetts. 
and I showed up there sight unseen. I, I called him at you know 10 o'clock the night before. I said I'm going to be there at 6:30 the next morning, and I showed up, and it was it was you know November-ish time frame. There was no way that that this guy or anybody on earth could have gotten that course to look good in the amount of time that I gave him. And I showed up the next morning, and I just was like, wow, this place looks unbelievable. And the golf course is clearly amazing, right? I mean, Donald Ross, nine hole, it's amazing. But that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm talking about the playing surfaces, the fairways, the greens were just remarkable. And that's not something you can do on 10 hours notice. That's years of dedication um, to your craft and to the job at hand. And David has brought that with him every place he's he's been um, that I've known him. Uh, Whitensville was amazing. David came down to our summer club down on, on the Cape afterwards, the uh, Weona Club, and did an amazing job there. And when I walk around here and I see this place, it looks exactly like the way those places look. And it's because oh, of him. I'd like to I'd like to give him grief about a lot of things, his haircut included, but <laughs> his talent and his dedication and his leadership. I mean, every one of the guys down that maintenance facility would run through a wall for him. And that's not something that happens, you know, for everybody or just like that. It's, he's a really unique character and everyone that meets him from the USGA through our membership um, to you um, knows that he's a truly special guy. I can't think of anybody who's more deserving of being a U.S. Open superintendent because he was, he's been ready for a very long time and he is, I can't, you know, I like to say people, you know, surpass expectations. I can't say he has because I've known he's had this in him for a really long time. Well, that, I can't stay silent. <laughs> I mean, thank you. Thank you everyone right here. Um, and my team, my family, um, can't do it alone. And I realize that. And I, I, I've watched my staff at this club just grow exponentially. And that really is the most rewarding thing to me um, as the golf course superintendent. But the property speaks for the work they're doing and um, the support that we get from you guys, from Brendan, from Kristen LeCount, our general manager, from David Shag, our committees, Greg Petrini. These people all surround these ideas that we come to them with. And sometimes they look at us like, what are you going to do? You're going to put that much sand on the fairways? Are you crazy, Dave? And um, now it's just the support that um, it just, it's really deep and appreciative and um, it's a team effort. It's not me. It's a team. So thank you everyone. Thank you, Stephen, for those kind words. Well, I know this, this podcast is generally watched by golf course nerds. So, I mean, tell us about your team. How many volunteers do you have out there? You know, what's, what's the effort going to look like uh, for the U S open? Sure. So we have about 3,500 volunteers. Um, of that, it's I think right now the count is 850 members. So there's a there is a big time wait list uh, for uh, volunteers for the championship. We had all, we were very blessed to have a very active uh, region that loves sports and loves golf, and it's a starved area for for opens and championships. So we had a lot of people in the community come out and want to want to volunteer. So, you know, we have um, it's you know, it, there are a lot of people that are going to be on this campus. We have thirty two thousand people a day uh, for the weekdays. And on the weekends, we have thirty five thousand. 
about 10 to 11,000 of those are, um, you know, players, coaches, family members of, of players. Uh, we've got volunteers. There is staff that works on the golf course. And then the rest of those people are patrons, either going to hospitality or ticket people who bought tickets. Um, so it's been from, you know, we, we have not been a site that has been challenged to find volunteers. There's a, there's a wait list for volunteers. We also have a hundred, we also have a hundred superintendents coming in, which is a long time U S open tradition from around the country. And we're blessed to have them. Those people will be working incredibly hard. Uh, Toro is supporting the championship with, I think close to $3 million of, of, equipment that they've brought on site. It looks incredible. You go down there to the, to where we keep all our, the, the superintendent's area, um, the big garage and, and all this incredible red equipment, most of it new that is down there. It looks awesome. Um, so I think that that's the, that those are the kind of numbers that we're looking at. Um, we, to date, we've sold the most hospitality of, of, any championship uh, that was led by uh, one of our vice chairs, Ian Loring, who did a great job um, reaching out. He's a great guy. Uh, so it, it's the area and the community has been has been beyond what I would have imagined uh, to hold it open. We don't have to help look for volunteers. The membership has really stepped up and is really active. It's great. Where I know that the people who listen to this type of thing are golf nerds just like me. So uh, maybe if David could expand a little bit on, because I know I'd want to hear this if I were listening. Um, maybe you could expand a little bit and talk about the uh, the maintenance volunteer program. And, and, and that's a really interesting aspect of these these championships. And it's a really cool story. Yeah, Steve, um, the question was actually for Dave, but I think Will felt like he hadn't spoken in a while. So. I spoken, and no one had said anything nice about me. No one had said anything nice about me. I mean, these two guys, it's this love affair. I, I'm just sitting, I'm right here, guys. I'm right here, right in front of you. Any of you could say something nice about me at any time. Let's we'll save that to the end. <laughs> um, so over on the volunteer side for the grounds operation, it's been a lot of work. Um, that alone because we do have 100 volunteers coming from actually around the globe. Um, four countries are represented, 17 states. Um, we have six or seven females coming to help us out, which is great. Um, but again, a lot of the employees at the club um, have helped us get all this legwork done. And they're coming for seven days. That's the big thing. Um, we've required this because really, just like the golfers when they show up Monday, our volunteers are coming Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. for a um, orientation to learn the property to learn their jobs but monday morning's our first practice round and we're going to get out there at uh, 3 a.m they'll be arriving by four o'clock we're going to um get out on the golf course and start the setup for the day and be done by hopefully you know the first wave of people will come off fairways at 6 30 in the morning done all maintenance by eight o'clock um except for the setup team on the greens but it's a big commitment, and I'm very thankful to those people. Seven days, they'll be here Sunday to Sunday. Um, and three in the morning, they'll be probably getting back in bed around 9, 10 at night when we're done for the day. It's just a really big commitment away from their family, their jobs, and, the, and their lives. And the thing that's really neat to me about it, what I started to realize, this whole sort of program that goes on, whatever, seven, eight years ago, is that you mentioned it briefly. These, you know, they're, they're, This is not their job, right? They're being paid to maintain a golf course 
somewhere else and they're leaving that job for a week and their membership is supporting them leaving that job for a week to come here and work on the crew free of charge to maintain a golf course for our national championship. And, you know, to see it, you know, a guy from a, a top, you know, 20 golf course, you know, it, it, that early in the morning and taking orders from whoever the, the, the host site superintendent that week is and say, oh, we need somebody. We got to wash out in this bunker out there. We need bodies to go out there and help, help, you know, put the sand back on the face. And they're like, I'll go. I'm going. And these guys are doing it. And it's, it's again, it's a community type of effort. Um, but to see guys who are that talented leave their job at really high profile club or, you know, maybe a less high profile club to come here for free and do that. It's a, just a really neat piece of teamwork and you get support. I mean, this is pluggish, but you know, you do get support from, from the trade, which helps make it really go. You know, Toro, you mentioned Tom Arwin, who's a, who's a distributor um, in the area and has done great things for us. BASF of all these guys have all chipped in that, you know, if this was just, you know, us as a club trying to put that program together, um, uh, it'd be, you know, pretty much impossible to do. So to get support from, you know, higher up um, in, in the food chain is huge. And David has done a great job of trying to make next week for those superintendents. I know, Gil, I know you're, you're a great advocate for superintendents, I know, and you're always saying how they're, they're the ones who make your work look good. David has had this great vision of next week, um, trying to have um, the time at the championship when they're not working um, is be sort of a, a, ga- a gathering moment as, um, for these superintendents to network with each other, have some people come in and speak um, about, about different issues. And so they can, they can learn a little bit and they can expand their network. Um, so really sort of golf geeky, quirky type of thing that I love. Um, and I, he's again, the right the right guy for it. You might have been able to do it. No, but he, he's it. the one who actually. No. <laughs> but he's the one that did it. Yeah, it's um, you know, I've had the the great you know fortune of you know, being around Steve Rabideau for the U.S. Open at Wingfoot and Russ Myers, you know, last month at Southern Hills. I'm looking very forward. I'm I'm actually much more of a hangout in the maintenance facility uh, with the guys as opposed to the hospitality suite thing. And it's amazing the whole the effort that goes into this and looking at these guys just, you know, at 12 o'clock watching golf or just half of them sleeping because, you know, they, like, like you said, they got to get up at three o'clock in the morning and get out and do this and they can't leave. It, it really is. It's a tremendous effort all to make this place look great. So, all right, we do this last little bit lightning round, which is actually with, with the three of you, I'm kind of excited to do this. It's totally Boston based uh, since I know how parochial you guys are. So um, let's go uh, just quick top of your head best boston movie of all time uh i would have said the town that's been my answer for the last eight ten years uh but this winter the original thomas crown affair came on tv and uh, uh, and i watched it and i gotta say watching like vintage steve mcqueen like at the height of his coolness and faye dunaway and, just, and the everything smoking you know Pantanella's cigars and just so cool polo scenes shot up at myopia. So you get a little golf shot out. And I think belt, the golf scenes were shot at Belmont, um, which I, you know, two o'clock in the morning after I finished watching it some December night, I was like, where, where was, where did this stuff all happen? And I was like, Oh, there's, there's golf related stuff that's related to it. So I'm going with Thomas Grant, the original Thomas Grant. I, I am a, the town guy. Yeah. Well, either that or goodwill hunting. Those are the, those are the two. 
I, I shouldn't be able to take two, but you have to have Damon or Affleck. I mean, you just have to have those two guys in one of the movies. So those are my two. I think Goodwill Hunting takes the yeah. takes the cake for me. That no, could be right. No doubt. I tried to get into the scene when they were filming. It was it's it's not exist anymore, but there's a little diner in Harvard yeah. Square on the corner there, and where, where he and Minnie Driver have their first kiss. I was I was there when they were filming it, and they said it was all lit up inside, and there's the big window in back. And I just kept oh, going, like walking by, like, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then just went, walk. Didn't make it. They didn't on the think, cutting room floor. Yeah, they didn't think that was funny. They didn't think that was funny. Oh, no love for the departed. Oh, that's a yeah. No, that would not. Yeah. That, that would not be. Well, no. well, I had you pegged for Ted. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Right. I didn't think of that. Uh, much to my chagrin, um, you guys have had you know been really spoiled a lot of championships um, in your area. You know, if you look at at, at a bunch of them, I don't even know how many there are. Which one means the most to you? Let me start too. Okay, um, can you not pick two? Like we got to get down to single answers. You can't pick two because then for the rest of us, it sounds like we're copying you. And it's called the lightning round. Yeah, it is lightning round. It's not called. Is it? How's the pacing on this? Okay. Uh, it's is not it like fast. <laughs> Um, I would say the Falcons, the Pats Falcons game. I was there with uh, two of my kids and seeing them. (laughs) That's the answer. Yeah, that's the answer. I'm uh, 1986 Birds Celtics. So the Celtics. Uh, 04 Red Sox. Not a baseball fan, but my father watches every game and I watched many games as a uh, young man and um, when they finally won it, that did it for That's me. pretty cool. The worst was the Eagles' victory over the Pats. <laughs> Not be- necessarily because the Pats lost, but seeing you that day and how giddy you were with your, like, oh, I'm an Eagles fan, <laughs> even though I didn't grow up around here, but I really love the Eagles. That whole thing yeah, is preposterous. These people who move around the country and they adopt their- Yeah. If I move to Chicago, I'm a Pats That's fan. I agree. And like, yeah. oh, I like the Eagles. I kind of like them. Shame on you. Shame on me. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a phony. Uh, I'm actually, as you know, a Jets fan growing up. But if it's, if it's green in football, I'm okay with that. I thought you. <laughs> Question. I'm going to turn this around on you. Which of our championship victories was your favorite? Which one of our wins did you think was the greatest? Um, <laughs> hmm. I have to give that a little more thought. <laughs> When you when you said '86, I thought, wait a second, the Red Sox lost to the Mets in '86. Oh, no, you yeah, that's legit. That's legit. You're actually that's where you grew up. That's a legit. Kind <laughs> of like, you you can like the Mets. That's okay. Yeah. All right. Favorite word in your best Boston accent, Dave. Everyone. Everyone. Everything, Everything, he Everything he says. It's all in the Boston accent. Exactly the whole vocabulary. <laughs> I don't have one. Everyone. Oh, the best one. Mine is pissa. Pissa. It's pissa. Uh, yeah, mine's pissa too. That's that's mine. But I do love the way people from Massachusetts put the F word before any one of the great words that we might have chosen. So it's F and this, F and it doesn't matter what it is. So yeah, you know, my F and friend, my F and daughter, my F and what. I do love the way they put that in. Just as like a matter of course, like they could be meeting the queen and they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I love the way Massachusetts people do that. All right. Besides TCC, favorite course in Massachusetts? I'll go Whitensville. Oh. I'm going, I'm, um, 
They're both on Point Road. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Marion Golf Club. I am. I'm gonna look you right in the eye when I say it. I'm not scared of you. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, mine would be the We Honor Club. That's where really I got to know David, um, and frankly, it's where I got to know Gil as well. Um, uh, down there, um, we have a summer house there, and love playing down there. All right. And, uh, last one. Favorite Boston rock band, not named The Who. Well, they're not from Boston. So, I mean, I mean, you're not really musically savvy. So, I'm not surprised you stated that question, asked that question in such an asinine way. But I'll let these guys go. Uh, Aerosmith. I love Boston. Uh, uh, Modern Lovers. Um, I'd go with them. Um, or. You know, I did love the cars when I was a kid. I'm gonna cars go, are great. But I'm that yeah. the cars first album is amazing. But I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Modern Lovers. Yeah, I was thinking cars would have been for me. And for those of you who are following along at home, uh, Stephen and I have a somewhat long-standing uh, disagreement about the quality of the Who's music, and that's where that little question came from. But yeah, we so will like. So Gil, Gil went on a, with on a golf trip with us once, and we, we played music it. on this golf trip. I was gonna say, that. and I was. Playing live at Leeds through the whole thing. Oh, it's so bad. It's it goes on forever. Phenomenal. Also known as the greatest live album of all time, <laughs> uh, which puts you guys, you know, against all of rock music critics in the world who think it's the greatest live album ever. And then I saw Gil, what? I don't know why. Let's call it like three months later. He was here at, at TCC for a meeting. He's like, oh, have you, and it was a Friday podcast or what it was. He's like, you heard the podcast. I was like, no, but hey, I just did a podcast. He's like, I'm like, well, this is kind of weird that he's trying to get me to listen to a podcast that he's on. I don't really know. And I listened like two days later, and he's calling me out for my listening to the Who. I'm like, this is not what friends do to each other. <laughs> this is not what they do. Who is great? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, guys, I've really enjoyed this. You know, from, you know, getting to know David Whitensville through Wiano to here. Stephen, your comments echo 100%. We're really excited to see the golf course and uh, know 100% that it's going to be, be terrific. And then I didn't know whether to be scared or honored that the two of you guys were in charge of this U.S. Open. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do have to say one last – I do have, I should say that Will, no, 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 Will has been – literally, he's employee it's, number one. It's and so – it is – everyone on this podcast can see through what stopping, you're about to say. Stopping. Okay, yep. You have to yep. be able to take a cup. Okay. And the team that Will has put together is unbelievable. And the, the, the excitement from everybody, whether it's members who are involved with it, members who are sitting on the sidelines and watching it, staff members um, – there's a passion that's really infectious and it starts with this idiot right in the middle. Yep. That's um, the right. Word and yep. um, yes, it's, it's undeniable. Um, it's infectious and the USGA feels it. We feel it. And I think the rest of the world's about to feel it when they, when they show up next week. Couldn't, couldn't do it. Wouldn't do it without Steven. So that's uh, everyone knows that. Couldn't I, do it. Wouldn't do it. Great. And you know, it's so much, I mean, what a great year for major championships, right? You know, obviously we're always at Augusta. We got Southern Hills country club and the old course. I don't know that there's been a better year in a long time. And I know the excitement for people to see this again. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen championship golf at the country club. So I, I think, well, no, I don't, I don't think, I know the world is going to be really excited to see what we're, what's going to be presented and how it's going to be conducted. And I think it is going to be a really cool, championship and old school golf. And I think we're going to get a real old school champion. 
Any last words? Any hey, predictions from you guys? No, no predictions. I'll make a prediction. You gonna make a prediction? I'm gonna think. I'm gonna say the um, yeah, the smartest, most uh, you know, well balanced player is gonna be end up the victor. Okay. Oh, I'm gonna pick a name. Am I? I hundred percent. Matt Fitzpatrick's gonna win his first major here. He's won here before. He's beaten a lot of these guys before in match play. This course sets up well for him. He feels comfortable here. Where he's staying is his host family that he's staying with. They're terrific people. Okay, they're awesome. And uh, no, it's going to be great. I'm not going to jinx him, but he's uh, he's ready to go. He's playing great golf. He had a tough run at the Memorial, but he's playing great up in Canada. He's coming in here, and he's going to take it home. My well, prediction is that you're going to try to avoid us as much as possible. That is true. Year. That's, That's my prediction. True. That's true. I'm hoping you hoping it's really hot and you guys have to wear blazers and ties all week. That's what I'm <laughs> You will not see a blazer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Matt Fitzpatrick, I mean, he we went through the cauldron at, at Southern Hill. So sometimes these guys, in order to get to win their first major, they got to see what that feels like. And he's obviously had it recently. So all right, good pick. Hey guys, thanks again. Really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to seeing you out on the golf course. Hey, thanks, thanks Gil. See you well, hopefully that was informative as you sit back and get ready to watch the U.S. Open at the Country Club. Uh, thanks again for joining us on Five Clubs Conversation, and we'll see you next time.